I'm kind of glad to get that out of the way. <laughs> God will take care of us, right? Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that? I heard a story once. There was this woman. She went to, her, she went to church, and her husband, he just didn't like her going to church very much. And it seemed that week after week she'd go to church and she'd talk to the pastor and she'd say, every time I come to church, you know, the man threatens me. The pastor looks at her. He's heard all this before. He's like, just trust God. He'll take care of you. It'll be all right. She said, well, that's not what he said this morning, preacher. What he said this morning was, when I come to church, he's coming after you. The preacher said, well, Neil, there's a little church across the street you might want to go visit. <laughs> it is really easy for me to believe that God will take care of you. It's a lot harder to believe that God will take care of me especially when things are kind of difficult. And we all have those moments in life. This morning, I invite you back to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. And the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, is transformational. It is one of those chapters. Last week, the pastor took this, cha took this chapter, this same chapter, and he turned it into a message on conflict resolution. Wow, that was, pretty, that was pretty cool. You could take six months in this chapter and come up with a different topic that was life-changing for you. So I'm going to go big picture today, this very broad picture of faith and a family. A faith and a family, as we're in Matthew chapter 12. But I want to come back to that subject and keep coming back to the fact you're here today and I'm here today because we serve an awesome God and he's going to take care of us. This chapter didn't begin in Matthew chapter 12. It begins in Matthew chapter 11. And if you've got your Bibles, take a look at Matthew chapter 11. Open your Bible up. Y'all got some in those pews down there. Matthew chapter 11. The very end of the chapter, Jesus said in verse 27, all things have been entrusted to me. And nobody knows the Father except me. And no one knows the Son except the Father. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know who God is, I want you to take all of your preconceptions. I want you to take all the notions we've ever had of God. I want you to take thousands of years of history, and I want you to set it aside for a moment, and I want you to look at me. That is what Jesus told these people. I want you to look at me, and I'm going to teach you who God is. I'm going to give you a mystery, something you wouldn't have known if I hadn't told you. And you know who Jesus said God was? You know what he said? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To people who were in difficult situations, to each individual person who heard the words of Jesus and who hears them up to this day, Jesus says, I want you to come to me for the biggest hug you've ever had in your life. I want you to come to me understanding that your Father in heaven that your God loves you, loves you, and he is going to take care of you. With those words, please join me in a word of prayer, please. Father, we just pray you would help us to honor you, honor your word. Father, help us to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus in a way that pleases you, in a way that you've taught us. Father, as we come to church, we come looking for all sorts of different things. This morning, I just pray you would help us to see the face of our Lord Jesus. Father, help your word to kind of come alive in our hearts. We pray for the pastor and his family today. We pray for his son. Give him, give him healing. 
Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Faith and family. I want to begin this with a simple statement. Faith begins with the word of God. Matthew chapter 12, and I'm going to go with a great big, a great big overview of this. Last week the pastor talked about this, and a bunch of you weren't here because there was a little snow on the ground. Remember that? <laughs> so, if you were here, you'll get a bit of a review if you weren't. Okay. Matthew chapter 12 begins, and it says these words as it begins, at the same time. At what time? At the time Jesus had just explained the heart of God. When he had just explained, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. At that time, while he was still explaining who God was. And I understand the difference between the Sabbath and Sunday, but let me just bring it into the current day. His boys got up to go to church on Sunday morning. And they're going down the road. And as they're going down the road, they're a little hungry, so they're grabbing some little grains of barley along the way. Pastor kind of explained how that, how that looked to us, and I liked that last week. But they're basically eating their Cheerios on the way to church. That's where this chapter opens, right? A very mundane, everyday occurrence. Most of y'all got up this morning. You said, I guess it's church time. I guess I'm going to show up to church. How many of you thought something transformational was going to happen? I mean, seriously, we get up and we, we hope that we're going to get something good from God. We hope that we're going to experience something that's going to help us in our week. We hope maybe we'll learn a little bit about being good Christians. But we don't expect something great and fantastic to happen every time we get up. These guys had a normal Sunday morning. They're on their way to church. And they're eating their cereal. The problem was they weren't supposed to do it. Because there were laws against it. There were laws against threshing, and they broke the stalks of barley. There were laws against work. And they shucked that barley, and they chewed it. And according to the Judaic laws, they were lawbreakers. While they were on their way to church, the Pharisees came to Jesus. They were walking along with him, and they said, you see what your boys are up to? You see what they're doing? What are you going to do about it? And Jesus turned around, and he took them to the pages of Scripture. And so I want to define faith first with the word, we go to the pages of Scripture to find out what our faith really is. Faith is not what you think it is. It's not what I think it is. It's what God says it is. And how do I know what God says? He's given us his word. It wasn't what anyone thought it would be. I'm going to tell you a true story. That story happened 2,000 years ago. About two years ago, I was in a church, really honestly. We are having a communion service, okay? Lord's Supper. How do we do communion? We have these little metal plates, and inside those metal plates, we have wafers, little crackers, right? Little wafers, we hand them out. Everybody eats their wafer, which represents the body of Christ, and we drink grape juice, which represents the blood of Christ. And what is this purpose? Its purpose is to remember the Lord's death until he comes to take us to a good place. Well, we're having our communion service, and after the service ended, I was walking out of the church, and a couple of fine people in our church stopped me and said, did you see what that boy did? I said, nah, no. 
<laughs> well, it turns out there was a five-year-old boy who was in church, and he'd sat through an entire church service, and he actually, actually was a very good kid and well-behaved through church. And he got to the end of church, and it went over time because there was communion involved and all that, and he was hungry. So that flight went by, and that little five-year-old grabbed him a wafer and was happily munching away. Well, guess what's against the law, apparently, <laughs> in the modern church? Apparently, a five-year-old is not to grab a communion wafer on the way by and munch on it at the extreme expense of God coming, shaking from heaven, and somehow chastising the entire universe of the church as we know it. I'm not sure what happened. All I know is this. I grew up in a church that had a rule book that was this thick. It was an invisible rule book. And almost all of our churches have it. So before I get too involved with these guys in the Old Testament, in, in, in the Gospel, I kind of laugh about it because it brings it right home to today to me. We have an invisible book this thick, and it's mostly filled in very small print with thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Apparently, this page, if I opened it up, said thou shalt not eat a communion wafer in church. <laughs> I didn't even know that one was there. <laughs> There's a lot of those things in our invisible book. Now, I grew up in a church that had rules, serious rules. You not only didn't drink, you didn't go to a store that sold alcohol or you were contributing to the problem. You not only didn't go to an R-rated movie, you didn't go to the movies because if you did, to that G movie, you were contributing to the R-rated movie. I grew up in a church that had rules against hair, against clothing. Lord, help you if you were divorced or had tats. You had ink on you, you were done. <laughs> I grew up in that environment. I grew up with people who pointed a bony finger of accusation at every person who disobeyed their invisible rule book until we chased most of the people away from God and away from our churches. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years, it seems like. The problem was this. The problem was, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary, and heavy laden, I want to give you rest. Matthew 23, by the time it was all said and done, he looked at these Pharisees in this chapter and he said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He said, do what they tell you to do because it's the law, but don't act like this. Because they take heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and they put them on men's shoulders and they wouldn't pick up that burden with their little finger to help them. Jesus looked at this point and he said, I want you to take your book and do yourself the most greatest gift you could ever give yourself. Go ahead and relieve yourself of the burden. God's got this. God's got this. When you want to know what truth is, I cannot elevate my truth to the level of Scripture and have it be okay. I'm going to keep going for just a second, and then I'm going to, I'm going to scoot off of this poem because we've got to move along. But let me, let me explain. This happens outside of church also. We live in an environment that we decry because the world has, does not have Christian standards. One of the great challenges of the church right now is probably same-sex marriage, right? Does that not come up just, it seems like, every day? I cannot expect the government or the world to act in a Christian behavior to expect them to be Christian in their decisions isn't going to happen. Why? Because they don't have a standard. What's the standard that they're using to decide what's right and wrong? 
And mostly it's experience. And mostly it's experience with a good heart, believe it or not. If you had a family member, your whole life you've heard that same-sex marriage is wrong, but now you have a family member who got, engaged, who got involved with a partner. And they were nice people. And they sincerely liked each other. And they're looking at you right in the eye saying, why would you condemn me? Don't you know we're not harming anyone? What would you do if you were a lawmaker? Would you condemn them? I'm thankful that one of the great changes in church in my lifetime has been the church has learned that it doesn't do us any good at all to condemn people or to hate them. That doesn't mean we accept. We accept behavior. It means we don't condemn them. There's a difference. But that's how decisions are made. They're made by how does it feel to me? What does it feel like the right thing to do is? In the church, we've, we've, we've put an invisible book involved, and we've said, what does the invisible book say? Either way, we have taken God's word and we've put it aside. And we've said, I have a different standard that I'm using. Jesus took the Pharisees, he took his people right back to the Bible. And what he said was, have you read what God said? Have you seen what God said? Why, in the Old Testament, David went and ate bread right out of the show, right out of show bread, right out of the temple. That stuff was consecrated to God. You're not allowed to eat showbread out of the temple. And look, God, God said he was not condemned. He was innocent. That's not the God they understood. That wasn't the God of their invisible book. That was the God of the Bible, and they didn't understand what happened. Because they didn't understand, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Every law in the Old Testament was written for you. Every single thing that God did was good and it was for your benefit. It was to bring you to a place where you would accept Jesus as your Savior and have rest today and rest for eternity to come. And every single one of us need to come to a place where we are okay. God's word offers us that today. And I invite you today as a Christian God for rest. Just come to him for rest. The pages of scripture, they are going to be the authority. Verses, verse 7, you need to learn the heart of God. God requires mercy and not sacrifice. God didn't require those boys to go hungry on Sunday morning to prove a point. It never entered his mind. He required mercy. Faith is defined in the pages of Scripture, but then he went a verse, well, one step further in verse 8, and he defined faith in the person of Jesus himself because Jesus went and added something, and this is the transformational verse. This is the verse that changed everything. This is the verse, by the way, that made people start wanting to kill Jesus. What he said was, and by the way, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Don't you ever forget who I am. Not only am I telling you under the authority of Scripture that what my guys did was okay, I am telling you I wrote the book. And when I tell you what the book says, it's because I know what it says because I wrote the thing. And I have authority over it. And I understand the application of it. And I am telling you, you want to know what God has to say. You want to know what God thinks. You will look to me. And folks, we need to look to Jesus. 
We need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, what is it? What is it about God that I need to learn today? What is it that I need to learn and how I treat others from what I see in Jesus? What is it I need to learn today to help me when I'm facing some medical stuff? What is it about Jesus that I need to learn today that is going to bring me to a place of worship and grace? And Jesus said, I want you to look at me. That's verse 8. He says, Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I've, I have felt oftentimes in my life, and it, it doesn't take much for me to feel like I'm not good enough. <laughs> Put me up front in a church where Pastor Steve is the pastor. That guy is so good. <laughs> it doesn't take much for you to feel kind of, uh, I say that saying, if you take people that sometimes are struggling and we condemn them, we harm them almost beyond repair. And we get down to that great Magna Carta of Christian faith. We get down to Romans 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. Somewhere along the line, we come back to Jesus and we find out something. Faith is found in the person of Jesus. Not in my goodness, not in my faults, not in my discussions with my friends and neighbors. And I'm building a case here that says faith is going to become, is going to be found in the pages of Scripture and then in the person of Jesus. And this case is going to get built place where we say do we understand that we need that relationship with Jesus well I'll just tell you that's where this is building to but I do know this in the very dark of night when I'm not real sure that everything's going the way I hope it will whether I am condemned by a devil of hell itself whether another person tries to condemn me as a child of God, I know it is God who justifies because Jesus said so. Well, how do I know Jesus is really God? You could say that. Are you God? You don't happen to be God, do you? Okay. <laughs> Just making sure. Now, anybody in here think they're God? Of course not. I guess it was C.S. Lewis who said, you know, Jesus was either a madman, a liar, or he was God. But you couldn't be, you couldn't just say I'm God and get away with it. But anyone can say it. Jesus said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I am actually Lord over this book. I'm the one who wrote it. I'm God. And everyone who heard his words understood what he said. How did, how did he prove it? Because it is the same day, in the same series of events, he actually got to church. <laughs> they were on their way to church when all this started. Now they walked into church. And there's that man with the withered hand. Pastor talked about that last week. Boy, that was neat too. It was, a good, it was a good message. But he talked about that man with a withered hand. I don't know if he mentioned it last week, but you know if a man had, had a deformity in those days, they were considered sinful. They must, have, they must have really done something bad for God to have allowed them to be deformed. They were considered ceremonially unclean. This guy went to his church every week being, being condemned. 
I'm impressed with that guy because he kept going, honestly. I'd have quit. <laughs> Every week he went to his church. Every week he knew he didn't fit in. And then came Jesus, who had just said, let me tell you what the pages of Scripture say, and let me tell you who I am. He walked into that place. He saw a man with a withered hand. And on a Sabbath day, when it was against their invisible, when it was against their law book, he healed him. And he said, I just told you I'm Lord of the Sabbath. This is my proof. I will take care of you. I will take care of you. I love you that much. Verse 14 says, they plotted to destroy him. Based on the fact that he said he was God and he had authority and then he showed it, they hated him and they wanted to kill him. He actually kind of rubbed it in their face a little, so that had something to do with it. To bring it into the modern world, he said, which one of you guys, if you had an SUV that slid into the ditch, wouldn't push the thing out? Don't expect you're going to push that thing out and then come to church and say, I'm not allowed to help a person. You can't have it both ways, what he actually did. And it got right underneath their skin, and they hated him. And it's still Sabbath. It is still the same day, and he left that building, and many followed him. Look at verse 15. They did. They followed him along. They said, we're not done with this yet. We're going to see what he does next. This is a transformational day. This day started with a bunch of guys walking down the street eating cereal on the way to church. And now he's got a crowd that has followed him out the building wondering what he's going to do next. This is crazy. This is just one of those massive days that happened in Scripture. And as they're going down the road, he's explaining to them, I did this stuff to fulfill prophecy. What prophecy? That I am God's son and that God is happy with. You want to know who I am? My father in heaven just proved it to you. I'm God's son, and he likes me. <laughs> I like that story. I really like it. But he added something else. He said, and let me tell you about God. Now that I've told you I'm God again, now that i proved this to you, let me tell you about him. And he did, not call it, he did not send me to quarrel with you. And he did not send me to condemn you. Look at those verses. It says it right in the Bible, right there in Matthew 12. He didn't send me to quarrel. He didn't send me to condemn. He sent me to show you who I am. I need to get rid of my preconceptions about who God is and look to Jesus. That's all he says. He says he came to take people who were crushed. He came to take people who were crippled. He came to take people who were hurting and to lift them up. What that says to me is if I am here in this room today and I am struggling with something and I feel like sometimes I am pushed down so low that I can't see the curb, <laughs> I'm just crushed that there is a God who wants to pick me right up to the throne of heaven itself. And that matters to me. I hope it matters to you. Faith is defined one other way, which is in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is verse 22. The pages of Scripture, the person of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, he says, a demon. There was a, there was a demon-oppressed man who was blind and he was dumb. And you know when folks really paid attention to who Jesus was? He healed that man. And when that man spoke, the crowd 
went crazy. Of all the things of this day that got everyone's attention, it was this man speaking in verse 22. People tend to hear and see what they want to see, right? I tend to see what I want to see, and I, and I put everything through that filter. I'll tell you a story. i got to lighten this up. There was a nun once. She worked for a home health care agency. Story says, and here she is. She's driving along, and she ran out of gas. Well, as it is, there happened to be a gas station right across the street. So she went up to the gas station, and she said, hey, can I get a gas can? I need to put a gallon of gas in my car. Get it over here to the gas station. People looked at her. They said, ma'am, 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 I'd like to help you, but we just gave our last can out to somebody else. He'll be back in an hour or so if you want to wait. Well, she thought about it. She's kind of a smart lady. Got a lot going on up there. She went back to her car, dug around, came out with a bedpan. <laughs> so she went back to the gas station. She gets her, she gets her, her, gets her bedpan filled up with gas, goes back to her car. She's putting it inside the gas tank. A couple of guys are going by. They see her, and they go, wow, now that's faith. Okay, <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm just saying, there's a, there's a, we, we tend to see what we want to see in this world, right? <laughs> That's the way it works. Now, the leaders cried out. The, the leaders, everybody saw the same thing. They saw a demon-possessed man who could see and who could speak now. And this man is talking. And while the crowd is going, woo, yay, Jesus, the demon-possessed people are looking, the, the, the Pharisees are looking going, uh-uh, no. He does this because he's in league with Satan. This is devil stuff going on. Jesus didn't do what I expected him to do, so there must be a devil involved. <laughs> that, is, that is nuts. Okay? Right on his face, it's nuts. But I'll tell you what, there's people who believed it. They really did. And Jesus looked at him and he gave him another speech. Kind of a big mocking speech in this case. And what he told him was, in the middle of it, and this is very important, what he said was, Say what you want about me. But you take the works of God and you start assigning evil motives to them, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. You take my works and you drag it through the mud, something the Holy Spirit is in the middle of, you're going to answer for it. Because faith is defined in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I see God work, my answer is, thank you. Thank you. Do not take good works and assign evil motives to them. And if that wasn't enough of a point, he made it very personal to these men, and he said, your words about me and my servants condemn you. You're condemned out of your own mouth. But I'm going to prove to you even more who I am. You just won't see it today. You know how you're going to know who I am? Because one day I'm going to die. And I'm going to be in the ground for three days. And I'm coming up. I'm coming out. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What did Jesus do when he was in the ground for three days? He took captivity captive. He took the keys of hell and of death and of Satan himself, and he started unlocking chains. And he led a parade up to heavenly. Even hell itself could not keep Jesus from healing. It was quite a day. 
Faith is defined in the pages of Scripture, the person of Jesus alone, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I emphasize that because it matters to us in our church today. We need to be people who don't just say, I'm a person of the book, but who practices that. Why is it I can say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him? Because he is the only one who died, buried, and was rose again, risen again. Faith is defined in the pages of Scripture, in the person of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is why we're Christians. One more thing. Figuring these guys ought to be over here shortly. And we have a baptism coming up, so I'm going to get this thing going. Faith is also, we're going to define family just a little bit, because point number two, and a big Roman numeral point two is the word family. And we're going to talk about the family of God. And there is a distinction, because in verse 48, all of a sudden, and this, by the way, there's a companion passage that says this. This has been a long day. It's been an exhausting day. It has been a miserable day. And sometimes we take the human element right out of Scripture too much. And it says over in Luke that Jesus' disciples at the end of this day saw him and they thought he was struggling. And they tried to tell him, Jesus, it's time to shut it down, man. Come on, take a rest. But he's still preaching. He hadn't shut up yet. He has been going all day long. And his mother's there. His disciples couldn't get him to shut it down. So mom tried. That's all that's going on. Mom and his brothers, those boys are in there, and they're saying, Jesus, it's time to shut it down. Come on. They sent, they sent somebody into Jesus, and they said, your family's outside, and they need you to come home. Just come home. And I think mom's scared for him, too, because she knows there's some people very angry with him. And this situation's just escalated so far. And Jesus took a moment to define family. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are they? Verse 49, you are. You are. Here is my family, the ones who follow me as Lord. I will chase the rabbit just this far. The Bible teaches responsibility to family earthly families. First Timothy 5.8 is very specific. A man provides not for his own, particularly those of his own household. He's denied the faith. He's worse than an infidel. The Bible says take care of your earthly family. But never forget your other family. Your real family. The ones who are going to be there when you need help. The ones who are going to be with you for eternity. Your brothers and sisters in this room. This is an eternal family. One more story. I'm going, to, I'm going to get this thing going. There was a, uh, I was listening to some sports talk radio stuff, just flipping through the channels this last week. Crack me up. I'm listening, to the, I'm listening to a host who I know to be a Roman Catholic, and he's asking a co-host a question. I was so happy to, to have turned this on. His question was, hey, are you religious? And the guy's, huh? What kind of religion are you? And the guy said, I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe Christian? I'm not sure. He goes, yeah. He goes, well, I was, I was, and he actually used this word, I was converted. 
They got converted. What are you, some kind of Baptist? And the guy's going, no, not converted. You know that stuff where they do lessons and stuff. And then, what, you mean confirmed? Yeah, yeah, I was confirmed. That makes me a Christian, right? And I just started laughing. That is wrong on so many levels, okay? <laughs> Start here and go all the way up to here. I can't, even, I can't even point out all the things wrong with this conversation. But it did have me laughing out loud. I think I might be a Christian because I was converted or confirmed or something. I don't know. Folks, that fellow is not part of my family of God. I don't know who he is. He hadn't made it, okay? He hasn't made it. Now, this is eternal stuff. Jesus said in John chapter 3, he couldn't have been more specific, you got to be born again. That's a word we haven't heard in church in a long time. You must be born again. A man is not good enough, is not good enough on his own. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible tells me that scarcely for a good man, somebody might die. I guess somebody might die for someone good. But God commended his love toward us in this way. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. The Bible says this, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart you believe, with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. We come to an understanding that says, I have to be born again. And when I am born again, I accept Jesus as my Lord. And at that moment, I am part of your family. You get me. Good for you. <laughs> I like it. That is how the Christian family is defined. But there were distractions along the way sometimes. It is a difficult thing when Jesus is trying to make a point and he is still talking and he is being interrupted even by his family who meant so well. And he had to tell them, not now. Not now. And distractions will come. There's always distractions to following Jesus. Follow him anyway. Pastor Steve has asked this year that the First Baptist Church of Waterloo make a conscious decision to take the gospel into the community. That is his goal for the year. To accomplish that means we're going to have to set aside a few distractions and a few detractors. You're going to have to decide to do it. You only have so much time and money. You've got to figure out what to do with it. If you're going to take the gospel into the community, you're going to have to set aside a few things. Those are the distractions we're talking about. This passage lays out faith and family. It is foundational to who Jesus is and who we are. I'm going to close this with this. Don't sell yourself short. You are an anointed, gifted child of the living God. He has promised to care for you. He has promised to provide for you. He has promised to guide you. He has promised to chastise you. He has promised to take you We have the distinction of bearing an awesome name when we call ourselves Christian. I heard a story once of a large wave that crashed into the sand and it deposited a fish that was flopping around on the sand. What's going to make that fish okay? I could take some money and I could pour it on him. It probably won't do a whole lot of good. The world says, 
medicate it. <laughs> Let's give him some Jack Daniels. He'll be all right. Won't do him a lick of good. Hedonism. I don't know. Give him a Playfish magazine. He'll be fine, right? In the end, the only thing that makes that fish okay is to get him back in the environment he was created to live in. You were created to live in eternity with Jesus as a child of God. You are okay when you live in that environment. Until then, you're going to be messed up. So I come all the way back to the beginning of this, the end of Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 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 Today, we are called on as a church to recognize the authority of Jesus, to recognize the person of Jesus, to recognize the work of Jesus, and to come to him for salvation. More than that, if we've been kind of carrying around some burdens that maybe we didn't have to carry so much of, God's got this. Allow him to be your healer today. Come on, let's stand together and pray, please. Hey, Bruce, come on up, please. Friend. Pastor Steve's awfully nice. He says, hey, there's no reason to do more than just kind of right where you are, make a decision for the Lord, and do something with it. So do that. <laughs> if you're here today and you have something in your heart, you know, you're just struggling with, say a little prayer. Talk to the Lord and see, see if he isn't there for you. If you need somebody to pray with you, come on up and let's pray. That's what this time is for. If you're here and you don't have any idea what it means to have Jesus as your Savior, it means that he's Lord. It means I took everything else and said what Jesus says goes. Period. I don't have a second choice. And I'm struggling with that today. Come on up and pray. But if you're here and you've been sitting there saying, I don't feel like God's got this for me. I don't understand that whole come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you peace stuff. It's a real good time to pray. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll, we're going to sing a song and give you a chance to respond. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for rest. Help us, Father, to honor you in all that we say and do as our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.